our beer of the week this week is another Legion Brewing IPA. It's called Hop Chiller, and it's a cold IPA. I don't know the difference between a cold IPA and a regular one, but I thought it was fitting because, one, it was super cold this morning. And on Sunday at Bank of America Stadium, it was also super cold and rainy, but we got it done. We're actually calling a podcast where the Panthers have a win today, and it's a good feeling. Yeah, it's the second time in this uh, young podcast history that we've been able to actually talk about a dub, which is super exciting. Uh, we witnessed the Monsoon Bowl 2.0. The first one was back in 2011 when Cam actually won his first game. Uh, so kind of cool parallels to that in Bryce Young's rookie year. And it was it was a good team win outside of a big Janu Smith um, completion in the first half. Like our defense was clamps exactly like you you said last year and kind of our key uh, not last year last week and our keys to victory is that the big three needed to step up. J C Horn, Derek Brown, Brian Burns, and and Horn and Brown were getting in on tackles and Derek Brown was an absolute monster and that's that's how you're going to win games down the stretch and and kind of upset some of these teams that are trying to sneak into the playoffs right like we don't have anything to play for in terms of playoff success but we can spoil teams and that's exactly what we did you talked about horn and Derek brown and then brian burns was in there too recovering the fumble uh on chuba hubbard that was forced by troy hill so all three guys got involved there i think the big story though is the offensive line playing with continuity they only allowed four total pressures per pff uh as they charted the game and there were only three sacks allowed and two of those sacks I would say were like Bryce scrambles uh like he almost got back to the line he was being chased so those were like more late plays I wouldn't necessarily say that's the offensive line's fault but yeah the O-line played way better I thought Bryce played a lot better today despite the or not today uh last on Sunday and uh despite the rainy conditions he had a good game-winning drive there in the fourth following the Xavier Woods interception turnover uh, where we got the ball at, I believe, our own five-yard line and were able to drive down and kick the game-winning field goal. So it was a good team win all around, like you're saying. But the story for me is, yeah, the defense is playing together. The offensive line is playing better. It's just complementary football. And that's something we've been lacking throughout the year. And uh, we finally got it to, in all three phases, too. Uh, the special teams played really well as well. Yeah. No, it was, like you said, an overall good team win. And we had we had game changers on the defensive side. Like you said, we had the turnover there at the end. We forced a Bijan Robinson fumble early on that led the three points. So when the majority of our points come off our defensive turnovers, it's just uh, it goes to show kind of how we can kind of grit out games and really is kind of how we envision what this team would look like. And it was cool to see, like you said, the game winning drive. Bryce Young, it goes down 90 yards. He's five of five. Uh, the O-line was playing better. Uh, wide receivers weren't dropping as many passes as they have. I mean, that like like you talked about last week, DJ Chark has these face mask drops. And when he gets a ball in his face mask, when it matters most, he brought it down. And that that was huge. That was those were the plays that we saw uh, preseason training camp, like leading up into the year. And that's who we thought DJ Chark would be. And it's it hasn't come on until week 15. So it's it was fun to see. Uh, I'm sure you were glad to see that as well, especially how uh, down on his play you've been this year and, and rightfully so. Yeah, that was a beautiful uh, pitch and catch there, that sideline toe tap. Uh, according to Next Gen Stats, it was actually the second least probable catch of the entire season. The first being the 
the Broncos touchdown, I believe it was Cortland Sutton, where it was like two yards out of the against end zone. The and he, yeah. Yeah. Against the Bills. And he just like dragged it in, which was number one. Crazy, crazy catch there. But this was number two. And it was just a perfect ball placement on the back shoulder. And Shark did a good job while spinning to get both feet in. And there weren't a lot of drops like you were talking about. There was only one, but it was kind of crucial. Adam Thielen did drop a touchdown which was kind of a blemish on Bryce's stat line, but it didn't matter because in the end we won the game and we were able to get a field goal on that drive anyway. But th the big thing to me is that the coaching, the current coaching staff with uh, Chris Tabor at the helm, and maybe it's because he's a special teams guy who knows every player on the team, not just the offensive players or the defensive players. But to me, they're finally taking advantage of what we're good at. We got more power run work going the past couple weeks, and this week it worked really well. Chuba Hubbard had a pretty good game. Uh, not to say that Bryce's runs were from a power run structure, but his scrambles are important too. But then getting guys like Amir Smith-Marset involved, especially on a game where you only have four wide receivers active. It's our, our main three, Thielen, Mingo, Chark, and then ISM. They got him involved uh, on six total touches, a couple of jet sweeps, uh, a couple of just regular runs. I believe he had four runs for 31 yards and then the two uh, catches for one yard. But still, getting him involved I thought was crucial because – He's been sitting on the sidelines all year, and a lot of his runs were very important in that second uh, field goal drive down in the red zone, like being able to move the ball. So I thought doing stuff like that was good. And then the special teams advantage I wanted to talk about with Chris Tabor. At the end of the first quarter, it was a fourth down, and we were going to have to punt. But instead of letting the clock run out and going to the second quarter where we would have flipped field, he called a timeout with one second left in the fourth, and we ended up punting. And he did it because we had the wind and the rain at our backs. So instead of Hecker hitting like a 40-yard punt into the wind, it was like a 62, 63-yard punt that they weren't able to return much on. And it was with the wind. So just stuff like that that's uh, really smart, not wasting timeouts, doing like when you have an advantage, taking advantage of it. That's what Tabor did this week, and that's what the whole team has been able to do. Yeah, you gotta you gotta make the most of the opportunities present. Uh, you have the same sixty minutes that your opponent on the other side has, and and we were able to play as a unit. That's the thing is that Desmond Ritter had a chance to pretty much ice the game right there at the end. And we've seen a couple teams the past couple weeks, like the Saints, be able to close the door in the fourth quarter, and just having a knucklehead decision, throwing it to Xavier Woods. Uh, it put us in a situation and Bryce Young kind of rallied the troops going, hey, we can do this. And to be honest, like having that kind of mantra on the sideline, like I love Cam and I'm one of the biggest Cam fans you're ever going to find. But there'd be a couple of those like opportunities where he'd just be down in the dumps. He'd have his towel on his head. You could definitely tell he wasn't in the right mood. But the, the way Bryce Young approaches it is very much like Russ, where it's like, hey, guys, we still got a chance. And like that, that makes the guys around you believe. And we saw some of those big catches on that final drive. So I, I, I like where the team is heading. I hope we see more of what we saw this this past week. I think the points you made about Amir Smith-Marset were phenomenal because some of those like jet sweep kind of runs you you can build play action designs off of that where you have linebackers moving and then all of a sudden you have Thielen or Mingo right behind that and you got a big explosive play out of that and that's that's the wrinkles that we want to see and wanted to see from kind of motion concepts play action concepts and and we didn't really get much of that this year so hopefully moving in the next year we'll we'll see more of that as as this offense evolves yeah, for sure. I thought this was uh, schematically one of the best games we've had. 
and just an all-around good win. Uh, and then move, moving towards the around the NFL segment that we always do, the game we wanted to highlight this week was kind of a redemption game for one of the teams. And it was Denver at the Detroit Lions. And the Lions redeemed themselves in a big way after that Bears loss a couple weeks ago. And it started with uh, Jared Goff. I believe he had five consecutive touchdown drives uh, splitting the first and second half. And he was lights out, I thought. Weren't not a ton of mistakes, and uh, the game manager role that uh, has been going around recently, like on Twitter and all that discourse, he managed the game super well, and there's a big part of why they won. Yeah, no, what they have going on in Detroit is is great. They have a top five offensive line. They have uh, playmakers at the skill positions. We saw several mismatches with the rookies, whether it was Laporta or Gibbs. And and you saw golf do exactly what like what you're talking about is being an excellent game manager, regardless if he is that or if he's a step above that. This is a guy that's able to play well in that system. And if they get a home game in front of that Detroit crowd, it's going to be loud. They're going to have an advantage. And this is a team you don't want to play. I, I think in January, this is a team that has the chance to kind of run the table. Uh, there's some defensive issues, but for the most part, Aaron Glenn was. Uh, lights out with this unit in terms of stopping Russ, which isn't necessarily the hardest thing in the world to do. Um, but with the Denver Broncos not being able to force turnovers, it put a lot more on Sean Payton and that offense's plate uh, than they're typically used to over the past six, seven weeks during their little run. Yeah, I think one of the underrated things about the Lions during the run you're talking about is how the defense improved. I know at the start of the year, your play caller ranking had Vance Joseph down in the dumps, but recently he's turned it on. And I think that's what's been spurring the uh, Broncos run. I know we credit Sean Payton and the offense a lot, but it was the defense forcing turnovers and putting the offense in good positions. And then Russ and Payton would take advantage of that. But whenever they weren't able to do that this past week, it was really bad for him. I mean, this game ended 42 to 17, I believe uh, the, the Broncos never really had it going. And, the Lions just dominated end to end. And to your point, you're talking about the home crowd. If they can get a home playoff, they're currently three games ahead of the Vikings. So the Vikings lose any games at all, or if the Lions win any games at all, they will have clinched the division this year, which is something that hasn't happened in what, like 35 years, maybe something like that. So that'll be no, interesting to see. It's it's super exciting. And, and there were some antics on the sideline in the third quarter. I mean, the Lions go up 21 zip at half. It's 28-7. And the Broncos get into the red zone. They're unable to score a touchdown. And Peyton immediately rips in the rust. Um, I haven't seen kind of a uh, video breakdown of kind of the plays, what Peyton thought Russ should have been looking at compared to what Russ was looking at. Uh, I've seen plays in the past, though. He's missing wide open touchdowns because he's immediately looking the first read or his check down. And and that's where it's more uh, indicative of, of Russ's play and not the system he's playing in. But when you go down 28 to 10 and then the Lions are able to close the door and go up 35 10, I mean, at that point in the third quarter, the game's over. And, and that's that's pretty much how it ended. And a lot of that goes to credit, like you said, the coaching. Dan Campbell, uh, phenomenal leader. You have Ben Johnson, who's great on the offensive side. Uh, why there have been issues in terms of depth on the defensive line, injuries in the secondary. Uh, Aaron Glenn has these guys playing well. So uh, all in all, I think that's a, a good segue to talk about coaches is that uh, what we saw on display that Saturday uh, on one side was a, a phenomenal job in terms of a master class performance and play calling. And the other side, not so much. Vance Joseph wasn't able to help, uh, help the defense kind of force turnovers. 
uh, and Sean Payton wasn't able to put on uh, put up points on the board. Yeah, I, I think it's a perfect segue like you're talking about. We picked this game because we thought it was important implications-wise uh, for playoff seeding and stuff like that, and because it was a good game, right? 42 to uh, 17 was the final outcome. There's I a, don't know if good game is the word for it. Uh, yeah, but, fans, high, but yeah. high scoring, and yeah, if you're a Lion fan, shout out Tage. Uh, it was a good game. But uh, there was another game that probably could have made this because of those exact reasons, scoring and uh, – implications and that's going to move us into the coach talk segment here and the first coach that we're going to talk about and i'm going to give you the floor after i kind of introduce it was the recipient of a 63 to 21 loss on thursday because we had the uh, the long weekend of football this week brandon staley is finally out of la along with gm tom telesco who had preceded him i believe eight years before i think he's been there 11 years uh yeah. they're both gone now uh, there's a new regime coming in. Kellen Moore is not the interim uh, because a, there was a report that said he didn't want this to uh, like be on his record, his coaching record. And that's understandable. The team isn't very good. But uh, Brandon Staley's finally gone, and you're kind of the champion of that movement. So I'll let you have the floor for the rest of the Staley segment. I mean, we, we talked about this this past offseason. A big, big proponent of us starting this podcast is we would have discussions like this. And after you get beat the way they did against the Jaguars on the road, first round, like you got a clean house and just scapegoating Joe Lombardi wasn't going to fix the issue that they had some really bad expiring contracts. Uh, and if they didn't move some of those contracts, they were going to be underwater. And we just watched a team like the Vikings this past year, clean house, do a lot of smart cap decisions. And because they have good coaches in the building, they were able to kind of overcome some of those holes on the roster. And that's not what the, the Chargers do here. Staley's not a good defensive play caller. Why he's a head coach. I don't know if it's just too many duties going on. I don't know if he tries to get too cute with some of the play calling and some of the shifts. Uh, if the terminology is too much, I watched a great breakdown by Mike McDonald in Baltimore. And I don't know if it was this past off season or during this season, but how they cleaned up some of their terminology where it's, it, everything is categorized correctly and it makes it easy to kind of communicate things. And if, if stuff gets muddled, especially with some of these complex looks, like at that point, it goes back on the play caller. And I think Staley is, is definitely responsible for that. Telusco did not draft a good team around Justin Herbert. Like, yes, he hit on the quarterback position. Yes, he hit on Rashawn Slater. Um, he hit on some of these other pieces, but he hands out bad contracts to JC Jackson, to trading for Khalil Mack, uh, for not moving Keenan Allen, uh, for you could potentially argue signing Mike Williams. I mean, the list goes on and on, but this was this needed to happen. And they could have had a guy like Sean Payton in the building and where he's been able to kind of clean house in Denver this first year. You could have had this. This year as a cleaning house and still be in the playoff hunt and that's just it's another year wasted and you wonder if they're going to actually ever be a contender especially with herbert now extended yeah i think you put it perfectly uh staley never seemed to build off of the the i'll say relative success that they had last year i mean they did make the playoffs they were up despite them blowing that like ridiculous lead that they had and uh you know, they started the year, I believe, 0-2, right? They played – it was like the them versus the 0-2 Vikings in week three. They beat the Vikings, right, on a uh, – there was a dropped interception. Uh, 
Right. And like yeah. Herbert throws the touchdown, the to Palmer, like the cornerback literally drops the pick that would have probably sealed the game. And with Kirk cousins too, it was a drop touchdown, I believe from uh KJ Osborne he had two red zone opportunities. On, on the other, right? like on the last play of the game. I mean, so it's not like the, uh, the chargers were in the driver's seat by any means. It was just mistakes by the Vikings. So they get off to a rocky start there. We kind of wonder, is it Staley's time? And he's still on the team. And, what they're at what now five nine or five and nine they've they've just been down the entire season i thought maybe he could have gotten fired when they went under 500 like after like six or seven games in and that didn't happen it's just staley hasn't helped himself like with his public presence either this year he's had a couple outbursts uh in relation to having the uh the media time for or what is it yeah the media segment where he talks to all the uh the members of the media he's had a couple outbursts and it's just a really really bad look for him this year and i think this was the correct move especially when you're beaten by an interim coaching staff and i don't want to take anything away from antonio pierce and what he's done because their defense has been quite good since he's taken over they've rallied the uh the players seem to like the locker room a lot better with mcdaniel's gone um, but this wasn't a, uh, the staff that came into the season for the Raiders. This wasn't the team that I, I guess they had prepared for or thought that this would be. And, and to top all this off, they're not playing against Jimmy Garoppolo. They're playing against Aiden O'Connell, a rookie. Yep. And I'm looking at the stat line here. Jacoby Myers had a couple of, uh, quarterbacking plays and even he threw a touchdown there. So it's like nothing went well for the chargers in this game. 63 points were hung on them. Uh, 42 to nothing at half, which in and of itself is just terrible. They should have just mercy ruled him there. Uh, I guess the uh, the only positive is that Staley and Telesco are gone here, and hopefully moving forward, I mean, th- throughout the rest of this season, no Herbert, Keenan Allen seems to be in and out. Austin Eckler's not really doing anything. So hopefully they can play all the young guys, maybe get Quentin Johnston, like just feed him to get him used to catching balls with his hands. But I don't know. It, it's not looking good. And then – Talking about Telesco, if you look at their cap, I believe they're what forty-five million over currently. Yeah. So it's not going to get much better. They they have the ability to move on from a lot of these veterans that we're talking about and do kind of what the Minnesota Vikings just did this past off season, and they'll be under and have like thirty million to spend. I, I forgot what the breakdown was, but there is an ability for them to kind of clean house relatively quickly and still kind of have their core nucleus. So we may see that. I thought what was funny because going off that sixty three point like kind of loss is Staley a couple weeks back after the Ravens game came out and said like, Hey, we're still in these games. We're, we're not getting blown out. Um, (laughs) I I think that would be the indicator of like losing the locker room. And then what happens like two weeks later, he gets blown out. And then he's saying that he still thinks he deserves to be in the building. Like, no, like at the end of the day, you just got to realize this, this isn't the job for you. You are not cut out for this role at this time. Um, and, and retreads don't usually work out well. So I, I think Staley just isn't a good head coach overall. Um, and he might find redemption playing as a defensive coordinator with talented pieces. Um, we saw that in LA when he had Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. So put him on a team like the green Bay Packers who have all those first round picks. Maybe he's, he's able to conjure something up there. Um, I don't know if he'll do that, but I think that's the only direction he has left. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I thought I think it's time. It's been time, and now the time has passed. Another guy who wasn't fired but lost his play calling duties this week, Sean Desai, the defensive coordinator, uh, in name, not in full duties, of the Philadelphia Eagles. He was usurped in his role by Matt Patricia this week 
when they played in Seattle, and they did end up losing at the end of the game. As a as a true Vic Fangio disciple, um, what I will say Sean Desai does really well is is different cover four and cover six looks. Um, and I'm blanking out on the name. I think it's Honest NFL. Uh, they do a lot of coverage breakdowns. He was really excited about Desai kind of coming into that Philadelphia uh, locker room and working with the pieces they had there. And he's really good in those coverages. But when you you look at how he performs with cover one, with cover two, with cover three looks, a lot of your looks that, that span the majority of your play calling – um, he's below the 50th percentile. He's below the 25th percentile in two of them. I'm, I'm trying to remember which ones I was looking at it this morning, but it's, that's the indictment is that those are the coverages you're going to find yourself in the most and you're not able to execute them well enough. You're getting beat. Um, they, they've gone away from a lot of four lineman looks. I've seen different people break down kind of coverage looks that'll be given. They'll, they'll blitz. It was a play during the Dallas Cowboys game, but they blitz Shaq Leonard, who's a better coverage linebacker. He's, he's long, he's rangy. That's what he's built for. And they're dropping Nolan Smith in the coverage. And when Nolan Smith is dropped in the coverage this year, it's not been good for the Eagles. And sure enough, Jake Ferguson catches the ball. They get a first down and it's, it's simple stuff like that, that Desai was kind of being got on for is just handle the simple stuff. We got to, don't worry so much about some of these more complex looks in the communication there. Let's, let's focus in our bread and butter, our down in and down out stuff. And that's why I think Matt Patricia got brought in is because he's done a lot more of that down in and down out stuff. He has all those notes. He kind of knows how to contort things uh, in game because he's seen more than Desai has as a play caller. Um, and so I think that's what, what happened there. I don't think Desai is done in terms of play calling. I think if he learns a little bit more, um, he could get another opportunity to be in great, be great at it. Like the Eagles linebacking core and secondary is really devoid of talent. Um, it's, it's not an excuse, but it's one of those things that he's doesn't have like this great defense to work with either. Yeah. I thought it was funny because around this time and in the playoffs last year, a lot of Eagles fans wanted Desai to take over for Jonathan Gannon, who's now the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. And it's kind of a be careful what you wish for thing here because currently Desai is, I don't know about this week because I assume Patricia uh, is now the Eagles defensive play caller on your play caller rankings, but Desai was ranked 30th going into this week. Yep. And, and uh, Patricia was 22nd after this week. So okay. he wasn't great either, but it was a slight Better than break. 30th, right? Because third worst in the league. But uh, yeah, it's when we look at the Eagles this year, this big story to me is that Jalen Hurts, after the uh, kind of rough starting few weeks, him and the rest of the offense have been carrying the team with a lot of second half comebacks rather than the defense putting in the work. And that kind of it was kind of the opposite uh, this past game. They got out to a quick lead. And I know Jalen Hurts was under the weather. I think he had the flu or a stomach virus or something. But the, it was the Seahawks they were able to rally in the second half, scoring 17 and getting the comeback on the back of True Lock and the rest of their offense. So it's really interesting to see the, the Eagles defense struggle against a backup QB for the Seattle Seahawks this week. Well, I mean, part of that is, and I was looking at some of the coverage numbers, is that the Seahawks, and this is a big reason why I'm a fan of Shane Waldron, they've had a lot of O-line issues, 
And their way to combat that is run more 12 and 13 personnel. We're going to have bigger bodies to help with chipping, uh, help in the run game, kind of disguise some pass looks. And it works. Um, sometimes Waldron gets a little cute with it. But for the most part, like this stuff fundamentally works. And what we saw the Buffalo Bills do to the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday is that the Cowboys, for the most part, and they didn't really change out of it against the Bills, run a lot of dime and, and, and nickel. And so when you have five and six defensive backs and you have two or three tight ends on the field, blocking assignments get to the point where it's advantageous for the offense to run the ball. And sure enough, James Cook has a, I don't know if it's a historical day, but he had, I think, over 170 rush yards or uh, total purpose yards. Um, actually, yeah, no, I'm looking at it. Yeah, over 170 rush yards and over 220 total yards. So just absolute beast on the ground. and. Sure enough, the Seahawks didn't have any necessarily major runs outside of the Kenneth Walker touchdown, but they were successful at it. They were able to move the chains, allow the offense to dink and dunk, and then late in the game when they needed a pass and the Eagles are in prevent mode, all of a sudden they're they're going after James Bradbury. Like all of the catches on the final drive uh, were against James Bradbury, the ex-Carolina Panthers. So they were able to kind of find the mismatch and take advantage of it, and that's what JSN did for that game winner. Yeah, the Seahawks performed really well in that second half, and you brought up the Cowboys game this week, and that's actually the last uh, team with a coach we want to talk about. And you have Dan Quinn down here. I'm going to put Mike McCarthy there too because I think the Cowboys overall just didn't perform super well. But, uh, yeah, the Bills were able to gash that uh, Dallas Cowboys defense led by Dan Quinn, who we've both regarded as one of the better defensive play callers uh, this year. But they did not show up against a Bills offense that's red hot right now. The this is this is where we're starting to see um, some of these analytical concepts meet the reality of facing different looks in the NFL. So when a team's able to go into 21 personnel, they're able to go in the 12 and 13 personnel and they're able to get bigger. Well, that's great that you've invested in the secondary, that you've invested in pass rushers. Um but now you have backup linebackers and that puts a lot of stress on them um, when you're in some of these looks and you don't have those bigger bodies in the field to, to stop the run. And so when you look at a team like the Ravens, which have usually created nightmares for most teams so far, and we're going to see if that holds this coming week against the, the Shanahan led 49ers. But if you don't have some of these linebackers, it makes it difficult to, to stop the run to to limit what some of these teams are doing through the air and these personnel packages and dan quinn doesn't have an answer for it and he plays the dolphins who who love running 21 personnel this week so they could get torched again they'll probably face the 49ers if they want to like chance to go to the super bowl and so when you start looking at some of these rematches if dan quinn isn't able to get bigger and and play with some of these guys in the trenches and this was an issue back in his atlanta days you remember this jacob i mean he drafted keon neal and uh who was the other guy in the back end smaller guys um uh, i know kz was there but um yeah i, I uh trying to think but it was yeah it was i know what you mean yeah yeah it's smaller defense and and some of that is like obviously team building the general manager there compared to the general manager they have over in dallas but when you aren't able to get physical and just play a team straight up they're just gonna bully you and that's what the bills did that's what the 49ers did earlier in the year and that's what the dolphins have been doing all year we think of them as this aerial attack which is true but it's because they have a fullback in and they're able to motion these guys around and have all this misdirection and then still hand it off and get 20 yards 
Like when they can just gain yards at will, whichever way they want to, that's that's the strength of being able to utilize some of these heavier personnel looks. And if Dan Quinn can't stop that, this team's going to be one and done or only make it to the conference championship this year. Uh, Ricardo Allen is the guy you're thinking of. The safety. No, I'm, oh. I, I, I'm thinking Keanu Neal, who is – no, the, the linebacker played for us this offseason. Deion Jones. There we go. Smaller he, linebacker. Yeah. Like he's he, not he's like still a on the, he's Thomas still on Davis. the team. Uh, Absolutely. Jones, but yeah. like if, if you look at size-wise, these guys are small. Vic Beasley, right, small right, right. Ed. Like these these aren't guys that can just impose the will. And like that's the thing. Micah Parsons, I he he cannot be as effective in the run game as he is in the pass game because he's smaller. Tackles can have their way when they're pushing him or trying to set the edge. Right. You even think Aaron Donald sometimes has struggles in the run game just because they can just outsize him with that. But no, I agree. Uh, when you th- the trend of the NFL the past couple of years to get athletic on defense, right? But sometimes you do compromise size for speed. And I think a big part of this game, to your point where they're talking about the smaller guys on the back end, Josh Allen only had seven completions this game, right? So it's not like they beat them through the air. No. They beat them with, uh, let me sum these up in my head real quick, 49 carries. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, 49 rush attempts, carries. And uh, James Cook, obviously the big recipient of that for 179 yards and a touchdown. Josh Allen rushing touchdown. Latavius Murray rushing touchdown. He gets a lot of those in the red zone. So they were able to – even Kyle Allen, who they put in uh, in the second half, was getting some rushing yards. So they're able to just dominate in the rushing game, and that's really what it was. If if you can't stop the run – and this is like the old adage of football, like – just as old as time. And I know this is a pass heavy league now with like the analytics boom and the boom of the uh, cover two and everything. But if you can't stop the run, it's over because you mm-hmm. don't have to pass anymore. Josh Allen, one of the most prolific passers in our league, maybe the strongest arm in our league. He had 15 pass attempts, only seven yeah. were completed for 94 yards and a touchdown, but they were able to kill them on the ground. And if you can't stop it, it's already over. And that's why they drafted Dalton Kincaid. We talked about this in our draft Mm -hmm. episodes. And it's just how important it is to create that mismatch. And that's why the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year. They they don't have any any upgrade at the wide receiver position outside of maybe Rasheed Rice this year. It was their ability to have prime Travis Kelsey and then some of these other tight ends that just created mismatches. Oh, we're going to line up and and we're going to throw the ball or we're going to hand it off. And there's nothing you can do about it. Right. And uh, as much as Dan Quinn should get flagged for this game, I think the other side of the ball deserves some mentioning as well. Uh, just the offense, I think, was pretty hapless against the Bills, and their defense hasn't been their like strong suit this year. They've been much more of an offensive team, but for the, the Cowboys not to score meaningful points until I think it was two minutes left in the fourth quarter on the little C.D. Lamb, uh, was it an end around or a jet sweep run? Uh, It's kind of concerning. I mean, we talk about Josh Allen only having 15 pass attempts, of which he completed seven. Dak Prescott had 34 attempts, uh, completed 21, obviously, but 21 completions for 134 yards, just uh, like just over five yards in attempt or per uh, completion, and an interception. Just wasn't good on either side of the ball for the Cowboys this week. Yeah, I I think. McCarthy and that offense, when they've run up against, and I, I was doing some research in the Steve Wilkes, who's the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, who are the other team that kind of 
pretty much stop this Cowboys offense and Sean McDermott, uh, both of whom coached in Carolina together under Ron Rivera. Um, they, they run these two high looks really, really well. Um, and I think that's kind of what cut into some of the explosive plays we've seen from the Cowboys. Some of those seam balls, they, they play some of those deeper looks really well. Um, and I think they're able to take away the number one really well. There was one play they had max protection and Zach Martin was out. They ran a stunt, had a free guy, and they only had two wide receivers on routes. And they bracketed C.D. Lamb and there wasn't really anywhere to go with the ball. So they were they were trying to do exactly what they did earlier in the year against the Cardinals, set it up to where the ball was going out quickly. But McDermott was ready for that. He was able to take away some of their, their bread and butter looks and – that's something that going into the postseason, you know you're going to probably face this defense again. You need to have answers. It goes back to exactly the point we were making about Dan Quinn. If you can't stop this, your your postseason uh, like success is going to stop when you play the 49ers. Like that. Yeah. That's that's where it ends. Yeah, I, I saw the dots from Next Gen Stats for that play. I think you sent it to me actually, and it just reminded me of uh, when the Panthers had that Max Pro against the Saints, and the line just like got crushed instantly. That's what it reminded me of. So not a good day for the Cowboys, but they will have a chance to, I guess, redeem themselves again this, this week against another AFC East opponent, a good AFC East opponent in the Miami Dolphins in Miami. So hopefully they turn that around, but uh, under more positive notes, our coach talk this week was all negative and all defensive coordinators for the guys we wrote down, but on a more positive note, we got to start with the Raiders, right? Uh, 63 points, you have to talk about them. Everybody got involved. Aiden O'Connell threw four touchdowns. Jacoby Myers threw a touchdown. They had two rushing touchdowns from Zamir, Zamir White and Brandon Bolden. Josh Jacobs uh, didn't play in this game. So everybody was getting involved. Um, I, I think they only had one interception uh, this game I as think well. it was Jack Jones' return interception yeah, yes, at the end. Yes, yep. uh, former Patriot. Hander. But also uh, Antonio Pierce coached him, I believe, uh, in college. So there was some uh, rapport there and a couple of sacks as well. So all around excellent team win. And they had a uh, fumble recovery for a touchdown as well, right? Right before the half, the uh, the big guy, John Jenkins, so. the defensive tackle, yeah, returned a uh, fumble for a touchdown. So all around excellent win for the Raiders. And uh, yeah, it, it was just over as soon as it started. I mean, 63 points within like 46 minutes. Like, I mean, they, they scored that last touchdown with like 30 seconds into the fourth. Like that is, mm -hmm. that's impressive. Like they could have easily beaten what Miami had put up and, and they weren't interested in doing that. Um, we typically have a theme, like you said, we have to mention the Raiders. Like this is, this is borderline historical performance. It was crazy to see on a short week. Uh, but our theme this week is running backs and the Three running backs that we're going to talk about uh, helped lead their team to victories. Uh, the first guy, um, I think they were in the desert for this game. Yes. But the 49ers and Christian McCaffrey, a uh, guy had 23 total touches, 187 yards, and three total touchdowns. I mean, this guy is and has been a beast all year. Um, whenever he's healthy, he has just been a dominant force on the field that has to be accounted for. Like this is a guy that if he gets loose, it's it's kind of over for you. Yeah, he was their leading rusher and receiver. This is the kind of stuff we saw in 2020 with Kyle Allen when he would just take over games. I think back to the, the Jacksonville Jaguars game in particular, where he was just dominating the Jags at home in Bank of America. But, yeah, this is just who he is. He's the best running back in the league, plain and simple. Uh, like, guys like Nick Chubb are probably better pure runners. But CMC's 
just overall one of the better weapons, maybe the best weapon. We could, we could talk about Tyree Kill as well, but he's just a guy that nobody can cover, nobody can beat, and when you give him the ball, good things happen, and that's why they won. One of, one of the reasons they won. That team's uh, very good, I'll say that. We already kind of mentioned him. I kind of listed off some of his stats earlier, but James Cook was a huge reason why the Bills had the win they had over the Cowboys. Um, he had 27 total touches, 221 yards, and two total touchdowns. He had, I think, a rushing and a receiving one. I And that's what he was doing. Whether it was through the air or on the ground, he was churning out big plays, um, he had an opportunity for another touchdown late in the game when it was kind of already out of hand uh, and it just went through his hands and it would have been otherwise uh, like a walk-in. So it's, it's those kind of plays that this guy, uh, when you talk about like a Christian McCaffrey in his second year, he's starting to be kind of that multifaceted guy where he can run the ball, he can run it really well, and he can catch out of the backfield really well. So it's kind of cool to see some of these younger guys, especially with the next guy on the list. Yeah, uh, on James Cook real quick, I thought he was the better running back coming out of Georgia. Uh, I mentioned Zamir White for the Raiders earlier scored the touchdown. I believe he was uh, drafted. No, James Cook was drafted ahead of him. But he didn't get much run his rookie year, but he's really, really showing out this year. I believe he's second in rushing yards on the year. So it's good to see him have a monster game as well. But the third guy on the list, another running back, Kyron Williams. He's been excellent all year. Uh, 32 touches, 155 yards, and a touchdown helping the Rams get the victory there. Uh, yeah, he's just been excellent. He's one of the best pass blockers I've ever seen. And that's why he's able to stay on the field so much. If, if uh, the coach can depend on you to block on third down whenever, when the stuff has to go downfield, you're going to stay on the field, and then you're going to get those little screen passes. You're going to get all these touches, and he accumulated all of them. And that's what he does every week. The Rams hardly ever move him off the field when he's healthy. Yeah. No, when they have some of the pieces they have on this team, and again – it, it goes back to that Shaq meme. I was not familiar with your game. And the way the Rams were able to kind of turn around how this offense looks is rather impressive. They breathe and bring in Steve Avila from TCU. Uh, they have Note Boom and Havenstein at, at kind of the tackle positions. Um, they got healthy on the offensive line. They have a very capable quarterback, Stafford, who makes these alien throws weekly. And he's got two solid wide receivers in Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. And honest to goodness, like I don't think any of us saw Puka Nakua having the year that he's had. He was very productive in college, but from like a combine testing, very similar to Cooper Cup, didn't test well. And then sure enough, he comes in, he's a big slot. He's able to make plays when he has the ball in his hands. And it's those kind of playmakers that are now on that side, along with Kyron Williams. And all of a sudden you have just so many ways to attack a defense. And like McVay is almost in his happy place again. He's got a, he's got a competent quarterback. He's got a great O-line and he's got some playmakers. You add another piece or two next year, especially with how some of the cap is now looking. This is a team that'll probably start contending for the playoffs and maybe another Super Bowl run here in a couple of years. And that's cool to see. Uh, you talk about maybe next year contending for the playoffs. They're currently the seventh seed in the they NFC. Are. And now there's there are like five, what is it like five or six teams contending for the wild cards in the NFC. But currently they're up there with guys like the uh, the Seahawks, the Falcons, the Saints, the Packers, the uh, Minnesota Vikings as well. So if they rattle off a couple more wins here, they could be uh, sneaking into the playoffs this year. A year where you and I both, and I'm sure a lot of other fans thought. They'll be contending for Caleb Williams or Drake May. 
Yeah, we thought this was a pivot point, that this was kind of the start of a rebuild. There were talks of McVeigh either going in the broadcasting or retiring, and that seems well, well behind them now. And like you said, they are contending for the playoffs this year. My thing is, is when you've seen them play some of these better teams, whether it's the 49ers or how they got beat by the Cowboys, if they have to go on the road against one of those powerhouses, I, I don't think it's going to be competitive. I think the talent gap becomes more apparent when you go against solid coaching and a great roster. They've been able to maximize either going against bad coaching or bad rosters and credit to them. Like that, that's how you win games. That's how we thought the Panthers would win games this year. Um, so I, no knock on them. McVay's a great coach. Raheem Morris is a great coach and they have a good quarterback in Matthew Stafford. And we're going to touch on this briefly. Uh, we want to go more into the playoff picture, kind of like what we've been talking about. The Rams are the current seventh seed, um, but MVP watch, it's kind of the same as last week, a little bit changed. Uh, Brock Purdy's still at one, even though he came out and said Christian McCaffrey should be the MVP of the league. Like we talked about earlier in the year. Um, Lamar Jackson, I think, is rightfully number two at this point. Dak Prescott, after failing again in another big primetime game. Like, you don't have to beat the 49ers. You don't have to beat the Bills, but you can't lay those goose eggs if you want to be, win the MVP. And that's what he did with 134 yards and an interception. Yeah, for sure. I think Dak has fallen off the list now. And I think really this week coming up, and I'll get into it with my take, uh, my perfect take this week, but Baltimore is in Santa Clara this week. So I think uh, we'll get some more clarity on the MVP race there. I think it really is down to those two, uh, Purdy and Lamar Jackson. And hopefully they do consider Christian McCaffrey since Brock Purdy came out and said it. Uh, since he is the engine of that offense, but I doubt it. It's it's the QB award now, which is very, very, very unfortunate, but hopefully they consider McCaffrey for it. If 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 McCaffrey had stayed on the pace like we had talked about earlier, because we, we had talked about this with Hill and McCaffrey when they were in the MVP watch kind of from, I think, week four onwards, is that McCaffrey needed about 30 rushing touchdowns and probably the 2K total yards, and Tyreek Hill needed to hit the 2,000 yards. And they aren't going to hit those marks. And if you do, that's historical, and that's what elevates your stock into some of those conversations. Um, unfortunately, it's not there. It's going to be a quarterback award, and it seems to be very driven on quarterback performance week in and week out. So Lamar beats the 49ers. I think he'll jump Purdy. We'll see, but I think that's what's going to happen. So we'll move into the playoff picture. Um, I think it's it's fair to talk about the lesser of the two conferences first because I think the AFC has a lot more to talk about. So we'll jump into the NFC first. Um, how do you see the four divisions shaking out? Do you see San Francisco kind of keeping an iron grip on the number one seed? Um, are there any upsets in terms of seeding that you see with the division winners? Uh, as far as the Niners go, I think they've got it locked. I actually think mathematically they have their division locked at this point. So they're good there. Uh, yep. I predicted it at the beginning of the year. I think the Lions are good in their division. I don't see the Vikings winning out and the Lions losing out for that matter. So I think the Lions are good there. As far as the Cowboys and Eagles go, the Cowboys do have the current tiebreaker. But I think they have the harder schedule uh, throughout the rest of the season. They do. They, they do play the Dolphins this week. Um, they play and then the Lions down, afterwards. Yeah, Lions, and I think the they have the Commanders as their last game. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, they play the Giants and Eagles twice. So that's much, much harder than what the Eagles have, which is the Giants twice, and I believe the Cardinals. Uh, the Giants so, have been a scrappy team recently, and the Eagles they, Eagles look Yeah, shaky. the Eagles the Eagles are on a, a bit of a downturn, I think, even though they made it through their gauntlet at 3-2, uh, and two, or 3-3 three and three if you want to include the Seattle Seahawks in that. But uh, I think if the Eagles are healthy and everything, 
they'll beat those teams pretty handily. So unfortunately, I do think that they might take it back from the Cowboys. I had predicted the Cowboys to win the division at the start of the year, but I, I think the Cowboys are better right now. So I'd like to see them win, but I think with the, the two opposing schedules, it definitely favors the Eagles when both teams currently have the same record. And then uh, what, are your, what are your takes on the NFC South? I know that one's a crapshoot. Like all three teams could win it at this point. Yeah. Um, what I will say about the Cowboys-Dolphins matchup this week, the the Dolphins are out a lot of players. They obviously skunked the Jets 30 to zip, but I, I think it's one of those games that it might be like a talent disparity issue um, if they don't have some of their guys back healthy. I mean, you have a lot of O-line guys out. You had Tyreek Hill out. Like, that's a lot. And, and the Cowboys aren't a pushover team. Uh, but to the NFC South, I this is going to come down to Baker Mayfield or whatever hodgepodge is put out by the New Orleans Saints. Like, um, if Baker chokes down the stretch, like, I think the Saints pull off the division. I think the Saints play the Rams this week. Um, and I forget who they play the week after. The Bucks, on the other hand, they play uh, the Jaguars, and they might be without Trevor Lawrence. So I think this week will be a big telltale if both of them lose this week. They're both neck and neck, and I see the Panthers playing spoiler uh, to the Bucks. They they lost a close one in Tampa a couple weeks ago, and they're all about playing spoiler right now. The defense is healthy, so it's one of those things that if the Saints go two and one down the stretch, I definitely see them overtaking the Bucks. Yeah, I, I can see that as well. Uh, like you're talking about with playing spoiler, the Panthers' next three opponents this week, we have the Green Bay Packers on Christmas Eve. Uh, if we beat them, they're out of the playoff picture entirely, essentially. Next, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars down in Jacksonville, I believe, on New Year's Eve. Uh, if we end up beating them, they could very easily lose their grip on the division because they're currently tied with the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans. Uh, we'll get into that more in a second, but we play the Tampa Bay at home for our last game. And while Baker did have, I, I think we could say like a hall of fame type performance. He's the first QB to ever have a perfect passer rating in Lambeau. So I guess outside that's of Aaron Rodgers, uh, he uh, had yeah, one back in 2019. It's the opposing, yeah, quarterback, the opposing quarterback. Yeah. The visiting QB uh, in the Lambeau environment. So we can't let that go without mentioning, but Throughout the year, Baker's been kind of inconsistent. And I think that, uh, like you said, we had a close game there. If they let one or two slip up, I could see the Saints or even the Falcons, now that Tanner, Taylor Heineke is starting again. I could see them jumping up there as well. Because the, I think the I Falcons have the talent on offense, and they definitely have the coaching on defense. I'm a big fan of Ryan Nielsen. But it's going to come Arthur down Smith to – Smith is too much yeah, of a sabotage at the he, moment. Like, he's just – He needs to not be stubborn and realize, hey – we should win this division. We have the talent to do it. And if Taylor Heineke can play well, I can see it. But as of now, I do think the Saints might sneak up there. What what happened to the legendary 22 personnel looks we wanted to see this year? I know, right? Get and, Drake and, London, Janu Smith, Kyle Pitts, Tyler Algier, uh, Bijan Robinson. Like, like, we don't see those plays. Right. What? And it, not only is he a fan of not running stuff like that, when he does, it's like – all right, let me get Mac Hollins on the field. Let me do Janu Smith. Let me do Cordero Patterson and Algier and all that. We'll kind do of some stuff. jet Meek sweep run yeah. that we practice at the end of practice every night. Like right. what? Like what are we doing? And this goes back to the Panthers game. Actually, I wanted to talk about this earlier, but forgot about it. They, there are three high draft picks that they had. Uh, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Bijan Robinson. 
13 touches for, I believe, 75 yards in the entire game. That is not a recipe I mean, Drake for London success. was blanketed I, I right. think for most of the games, so I, I understand that. But the, you've drafted these guys this high every year for the last three years. When YGM was back, baby. YGM, Derek Brown, Brian Burns, they weren't going to run anything up the gut, my the, guy. Like, you know this. The They were successful against us the first time we played. But my point True. is – you have they've had multiple holes throughout their the Arthur Smith and uh is it Dimitrov the GM um, for Atlanta no he's he's with Sumer Sports right no, now uh, the uh Fontan Terry Fontanet that's his name yeah that's um, what, he's the guy with the, Arthur Smith right now yeah both first names start with a T so I get them mixed up but <laughs> uh, regardless throughout this tenure that they've had they've had multiple holes across that roster the Falcons have not been a good team uh the past couple of years they're not a good team now but the picks that they've had in the top 10 every year, tight end at pick number four, Kyle Pitts, wide receiver at pick number eight, Drake London, uh, running back at pick number eight, Bijan Robinson. We've talked about this over and over. They could have supplemented maybe better players or even if they weren't better players, better positions where they needed the help, and they just didn't do it. So now we're here, and that's all that's in the past. You need to run these players into the – not into the ground, but they need to get their run, and they aren't getting it. And I, Arthur Smith's trying to – prove that he's smarter than everyone or something i don't know but in reality you're not playing your good players they were drafted that high for a reason if they weren't going to take them there they would have been a couple picks after so play your good players that's what it comes down to so that all that being said the nfc south race is an absolute crapshoot uh the right. wild card uh, the wild card guys that uh, teams we want to talk about we have the eagles at five currently because i i think the cowboys will pull it off i understand their strength of schedule isn't there but i honestly think they have a good matchup against miami they're almost unbeatable at home so i think that game against the lions will be a statement win and i think they'll beat the commanders those are those are games that i think they'll go three and oh and i think for some reason the Eagles will stumble uh, one of the last three games. They are just not a cohesive team at the moment. Uh, Minnesota we have at six. And then do you think at seven, we talked about the Rams earlier, but do you think the Seahawks or the Rams sneak in for that that seventh spot, the way we're kind of shaping the playoff picture? I like the Seahawks. I think their roster is just better. Um, and they're able to get a win with Drew Locke. I think when Geno Smith is fully healthy and, and is right uh, – I guess mindset and ability to play. I think they're a better team. And uh, yeah, I think the Seahawks are going to sneak in. Okay. Now on the AFC side, and we want to spend some time on this conference, uh, what could end up shaping up to be a rematch of the 2012 Super Bowl. Uh, the 49ers look to be the number one seed in the NFC. The Baltimore Ravens look to be the number one in the AFC. Uh, do you think they'll be able to pull away down the stretch? They have a big game coming up this week against the 49ers. How do you think that's going to fare? Or do you think a team like the Chiefs or the Dolphins will be able to catch them for the number one? Well, the Dolphins are right behind them. And I'm trying to recall, do they play each other uh, at any point down the stretch here? I don't think I'm, those I'm two end up playing each other. Yeah, so the um, Dolphins have, or the Ravens rather, excuse me, have... Uh, obviously the Niners this week, they have, I can't, I don't see who they have in week 17, but I see that they have the Steelers in week 18 while the Dolphins, so the Dolphins yeah. have the Cowboys. They have the Ravens. They actually do play. You yeah, are right. Week 17. Uh, yeah, I thought so. Um, and then they have the bills and that's, that's yeah, not that's, an easy slate. 
No, that's definitely the rougher of the two stretches, and the Ravens already are a game up on them. I do think this is the Ravens' spot to lose. Uh, Like I said, at the start of the year, I thought Lamar Jackson would be an MVP candidate, and I think he is. He's just lacking the the numbers that come with it. I think they're playing at a high level, even with some of the guys like Mark Andrews not playing. Uh, Ronnie Stanley came out of the game this past week for uh, an extended amount of time before he came back in. So even with guys that are down like that, they're pulling it off. And it's guys like uh, Rashad Bateman, Zay Flowers, uh, Odell Beckham's been – a revelation this year. He's not playing to like prime Odell levels, but he's catching all the stuff that he needs to catch and just all that stuff on offense. Then you pair it with Mike uh, McDonald, who's I think the best defensive coordinator in NFL football right now. And with all the talent, number one on the play callers right now. So you wouldn't be wrong. Yeah. And all the talent they have on that side of the ball. I think this is the Ravens spot to lose. Now I do think the dolphins will win their division. I think the chiefs will win their division. Um, but I, I don't think either of them are going to catch the Ravens. What do you think? I think if anybody does, it's the Chiefs, and it's just because of strength of schedule reasons. I think the Chiefs might have the tiebreaker. So if for some reason the Chiefs go three and zero down the stretch, and the Ravens go two and one, I think Kansas City might have the tiebreaker. I don't know. It may also come down to uh, what game the Baltimore Ravens lose, because if it's the out of conference game against like the 49ers, I don't think it'll impact them as much. Well, the Ravens would have to lose uh, two games because they're two games up on the Chiefs currently. Oh, never mind. Oh, I it's yeah. the um, yeah it's the Dolphins that are the right Dolphins, behind them in yeah. terms of game. Yeah, so they I the Chiefs may get the two seed. I think that's how it's going to shape up. I think the the Chiefs will get the two. Uh, Dolphins will get the three. Uh, I think Jacksonville will win the AFC South. Uh, I know they're kind of looking a little banged up right now between Christian Kirk being out and Trevor Lawrence now having his ankle issue. Um, but he fought through some some serious stuff against the Ravens. He played a competitive game. They just had a couple costly turnovers. I think they write the ship this week against Carolina. Uh, we'll talk about that more when we um, preview the game. But I think I think the Browns will get the the first wild card spot. This is a team that looks actually competent with Joe Flacco. I don't know if they'll go on a 2012 Baltimore Ravens run, but this is a team that I don't think anybody wants to see. Uh, come the town that first first round. Well, he's kind of playing like that 2012 run. Uh, he doesn't have the receiver talent on offense or anything, but he is slinging it. And Joe Flacco is uh, a big part of why they're in this spot right now. I agree. I think they're getting that first wild card because teams like uh, the Steelers have kind of tapered off. The, the Broncos are kind of out the door there. I, I, I guess mathematically they could be in. The Bills could be in, but they have to get past quite a few teams. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think the uh, Cleveland Browns with that defense and with Flacco playing well, I think they're going to lock up that number one wild card spot. Uh, and then the second wild card is another uh, team with a backup QB right now. It's currently the Cincinnati Bengals, a lot of it behind the really good play of Jake Browning. But going forward, I think Jamar Chase is expected to miss some time. Uh, he he so- left the game early uh, this past week or not early later in the game. And uh, I think I saw a tweet from Schefter say he is expected to miss some time. Like Jake Browning has come in and he's operated exactly what he's needed to. He's been able to find his checkdowns. They've been able to run a very effective screen game. And honest to goodness, they've pulled off some some good wins. They they have the tiebreaker now on the Colts. And I know some of those will kind of go out the window if there's like five teams with the same record at the end of the day. Um, 
but those are the kind of wins that you need to kind of pad your your seating and, and your place. And they're they're currently the sixth seed right now. And I think they'll kind of hold there. We talked about it with the AFC North preview. These are this is the best division in football. And they 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 more than likely are gonna send three teams to the playoffs. They're just that good. Like the roster construction, the the front office's visions for each of these teams and how to put them together and how that's cohesive with what the coaches want to do. It kind of makes what's going on in Pittsburgh um kind of like I, I don't want to say Mike Tomlin's on the hot seat, but you had a lot of games where you could have won and put yourself in the driver's seat to get a playoff spot and they're they're on the outside looking in right now. Yeah, I, I would say the way to put it is uh it makes what's going on in Pittsburgh all the more disappointing. Right. Because we, we've seen what Mike Tomlin can do with lesser QBs. Hell, they did it last year with Kenny Pickett uh, at the end of the year, his rookie year. Now he did play better down the stretch, but he did not play well at all last year. And they were able to get that positive record. But now they're right at 500, right at 500, hovering on the edge of that playoff uh, picture. Whereas the other three teams in the division are, I don't want to say firmly in. Obviously, the Ravens have already clinched. Uh, their division, so they are and mathematically. No, no, no. They aren't. They uh, haven't clinched. They clinched a uh, playoff berth. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, uh, that's my bad. But then, then they're two games ahead of the Cleveland Browns, who are one game ahead of the Bengals, who are one game ahead of the Steelers. So the Steelers yeah. are at the bottom here, and uh, it, it is disappointing to see, especially when we have teams like the Indianapolis Colts, who have been playing Gardner Minshew all year. They lost their they young beat rookie. The Steelers. They yeah, like, they beat them. But I'm saying, like, the Colts lost their QB early in the year, and they've been able to yep. rally from it. The Bengals lose Joe Burrow a couple weeks ago. Even the Texans this past week, uh, C.J. Stroud is out for the game with a concussion, and they're able to get the overtime win against Tennessee, who were wearing the Oilers uniforms uh, in a disrespectful manner, mind you, and the Texans go in and win. So we should give the uh, the Oilers uniforms back to the Texans. But um, I, I agree with that. That that should be a petition signed and uh, put forth to the NFL. That should be something they talk about with some of the rule changes. Yeah, for sure. But it, it is disappointing to see the Steelers because uh, mathematically, like in the standings currently, they're in 10th. So like if this holds up, they would have to pass two other or rather three other teams to get into that last wildcard spot. And I don't see that happening. They they right. lost some of those tiebreakers, um, and it's not looking good. Now, a team that has kind of increased their chances, they still have a rough slate ahead. But the Bills, I mean, this is a team that I think will kind of sneak into that seventh seed if the Colts uh, kind of stumble down the stretch. And I, I think what Shane Steichen has done in Indianapolis first year on the job has been phenomenal. We talked about this, his job with Herbert. Excellent uh, in terms of Herbert's rookie year. Uh, then what happened with Jalen Hurts last year? Uh, there was so much more married on that offense between the run and the pass. And you see that disconnect this year with Brian Johnson. And sometimes they just don't have those easy buttons that were there last year, even though Brian Johnson was there with Shane Steichen. So it's like, it's, it's very perplexing that some of those things have disappeared. And I think a large part of that is because he is, he's a really good craftsman and he understands how he needs to kind of shape the offense I think if they add more talent on the defense in future years and maybe upgrade the defensive play caller from Gus Bradley, like this is this is a team to be reckoned with moving forward. Yeah, uh, in terms of the Bills, I think right now 
there's not a scarier team to play than them. I would have said the Panthers uh, because they're on a losing streak and they're the worst team, but they got to win. So there's uh, there's some pressure lifted off the Packers this week. But the Bills have been playing phenomenally the past couple of weeks. Uh, even with the Eagles loss, they played well in that game. And then looking at the upcoming schedule, like you have the Browns and the Texans playing this week. So should the Texans lose that one, the Bills might move up there if they get a win. Then you have the Colts playing the Falcons and then the Raiders next and couple Desmond weeks. Ritter, and I know he's not the guy playing, but Taylor Heineke, like the Falcons have been good at home this year. Right. This isn't a game we should think that the Colts are going to easily win. And this is something where exactly like you said, Browns beat the Texans, Falcons beat the Colts. All of a sudden the Bills are right there in the playoff picture and they might kind of just stay in that seat the rest of the way. Right. And the Texans and Colts play in week 18, the last game of the year of the regular season, rather. So the Bills could sneak in with the way they're playing. Now, granted, they they probably have to win out to get in, but uh, they're a dangerous team right now. Yeah, no, and that's something we'll keep tabs on. We're going to probably open up this more playoff picture talk. Um, I think the MVP will kind of be hammered down after the results of next week. Uh, we'll talk about that more in depth then. Uh, we'll talk about the Panthers game upcoming against the Packers briefly. Uh, talk about some future guys that we want to see in a Panthers jersey. Um, but we have Jordan Love coming to town Christmas Eve. How do you think the Packers are going to fare against uh, the Carolina Panthers? Do you think we're going to have a better turnout from a fan standpoint this this go round? Absolutely. Uh, number one, because we won, right? And winning brings people in. Number two, there shouldn't be a tropical storm passing through charlotte this week <laughs> that was a big thing like i know around twitter there are pictures like oh there's only a hundred panthers fans in the stands before the game well yeah if, number one i wouldn't go to the game in these conditions but if i were at the game i'm not taking a seat till they get on the field because there i believe there are an, an inch and a half or two inches of rain just yeah. during the game the so fact that there were no delays yeah. is actually kind of wild yeah, and it's like 50-ish degrees, so cold and rainy. I'm not going to be uh, sitting in my seat until they're on the field uh, actually playing. I would even skip the kickoff, too. But, uh, no, there should be more fans there. And I think the keys are, can we build off this win, right? We saw a Packers team last week get decimated in pass coverage. I think that's the key to success there, especially with our o, our, our o line being more consistent. If that can happen... I think we can take advantage of Joe Barry's uh, kind of weird defensive looks, especially with like guys actually catching the ball. Talking about that last drive at the end of the game, Thielen, Mingo, and Chark all had big catches there. So if we can get everyone involved, and uh, I believe Tommy Tremble started it off. So if we can get everyone involved on the offensive side and the defensive stars, the three guys we talked about can continue to be stars, I think we actually have a chance. Well, they, they lost the Steelers several weeks back and they would run these like weird like nickel packages against like this like 12 personnel or just heavier jumbo look from the Steelers. And it's like, what, what are you doing? Like get in the base. Like you, you have the talent to kind of spread this around and the way they kind of handle gap schemes. And it's some of those looks that if Chuba is able to get going against the Packers, Bryce isn't turning the ball over. And like you said, we have some of our wide receivers making plays. There's no reason why we can't win this. I mean, we we watched the Giants O-line kind of keep this Packers D-line at bay a couple weeks ago on Monday night. And I think there's no reason why we don't do it here. Um, it's just a matter of us putting out what we put out last week again. And if our defense shines, our offense isn't making mistakes, 
we're going to have a chance at the end of the game. And that's that's really all I could hope for. Um, like I said last week, uh, all I want for Christmas is a Panthers dub. We got that this past week with the Falcons. If we can just have a good game, that that's all I could ask for. Just show some hope towards the future uh, in the direction that we're heading. Uh, I'm with you there, and I hope we spoil every team we play for the rest of the year because, like I, I said, did. they all of them have playoff implications. And so that should be the thing we play for is keeping them out. But uh, moving forward into next year, because we are at the end of the year, or towards the end of the year, sadly for us, but uh, the draft is coming up always. We talked about offensive linemen we might want to take at 33 last week, and I think that's one of the areas most fans want to go early in the draft. And the other one is obviously wide receiver. And uh, there's going to be guys like Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Roma Dunze. Those are first-round locks. They aren't falling. And then even guys like Adonai Mitchell, Keon Coleman, Brian Thomas Jr., I think those guys aren't going to fall to 33 either. But there are a couple of guys that I wanted to take a look at today. And the first is Emeka Ibuka from Ohio State. This is a guy that when C.J. Stroud was there, he had a lot more draft hype because obviously Stroud is much, much better than Kyle McCord. And uh, Ibuka has dealt with injuries throughout this year. And when he has played, he's been excellent underneath, has good hands, uh, really shifty. He finds that open spot in the zone we were talking about before the recording. You said is very similar to how a younger Adam Thielen would play. And I think that's a really good comparison. Uh, he just dices teams underneath, but he doesn't have a ton of uh, like yards after the catch or downfield value value now. I think that's the main area where he could improve. But I think he'd be worth taking a look at at that number 33 pick. He's he's just a very sound player. It's one of those things that I think if he were to have kind of the playbook open up more to him that they weren't scheming looks up for Marvin Harrison, he gets to kind of be the number one guy, you might see a little bit more from him because I think he's technically very, very sound. And that's that's always great to work with. I think a guy that could be there in the second round as well as Troy Franklin out of Oregon, um, he's got the ability to separate. I, I like his ability after the catch. Uh, and those are guys in that second round that I would love. Now, going into day three, who are some guys that you see at this position that are are worth kind of, I, I mean, maybe having come in for an interview, um, looking more closely at the combine, uh, going to their pro day, stuff like that. Who are those guys that stick out to you? Well, this is a very deep uh, wide receiver class, but the two I want to talk about now are a couple of seniors. The first one being Malachi Corley. Now, he is a bit smaller, like size-wise. He's not going to be a, a jump ball winner or anything like that. But, man, he will run you over. I have written here, he is not a speedy yak threat, but he's a yak threat because he trucks DBs all the time. Like, if you look at the Louisiana Tech tape or even the Ohio State tape, he's just running over corners after he gets the ball. And yep. that's kind of the mentality you want in receivers, especially on a team like the Panthers, who throughout the season have been kind of soft. You kind of need that edge there on the outside. You need a tone setter. A tone setter is a perfect way to put it. And you kind of need that from a guy coming in in the later rounds of the draft if he wants to stick around. And then the other guy that I wanted to talk about who's going to be one of my guys this draft is Ricky Pearsall from Florida. He was Anthony Richardson's number one target a couple years ago. It was Graham Mertz's number one target this year. I think he had the catch of the year against our Charlotte 49ers, like in week four or five. Just an insane – it was like an Odell Beckham grab where he got blasted. So really good catch there. But he's just an all-around good receiver. He actually reminds me a lot of a younger Adam Thielen and of a 
kind of not the same body type, but a similar role of Puka Nakua this year. A guy that's going to be a super slot who can space across the field, has excellent hands, really high twitch. So he's able to separate space at the top of his break and stuff like that. He's a guy that uh, I would keep an eye on later in the draft, but I would have him much higher on my board. Now, I, I want to throw out a draft strategy and we'll see kind of as as pro days, the combine uh, interviews are taking place, a lot more analysis and film is broken down. Um, I think personally, we go after a guy like Jordan Morgan, uh, who adds a lot of stability on the offensive line in round two. And then we go after that Corley guy. Like, I mean, like you said, like his ability to just run over dudes, like he, he's going to hit you in your mouth. And, and Marshawn Lynch, a video was circulating recently. It was an interview of a, a time long ago, but where he was saying, if you, you keep hitting a guy in his mouth, like they aren't going to like it if you keep doing it over and over and over again. And this league has gotten the more athletic guys, guys who are just more technical. They aren't, they aren't used to these big hits, especially how players are protected now. And you have a wide receiver who's willing to play a little bit more physical. Like, I mean, to me, that's like seeing Isaiah Pacheco in a wide receiver body. Like, I, I love that. I love that enthusiasm. Like that kind of energy is something that we need. And I would love to see it in Carolina. Yeah, uh, I was thinking as you were talking about that, maybe younger Steve Smith, who would just bowl over guys once yeah. he had the ball in his hand. I'm not saying skill wise. He's I'm not as big. He, yeah, he's, he's got that he's, like nastiness in his mind. You know, like yeah. the, I'm gonna hit you, and that's kind of murder on his mind, man. Like he is, he is out for blood. Right, and in a sport, a contact sport where you're supposed to hit guys, you need that in you. But no, I like that draft strategy as well. Uh, the Panthers are going to be a team that has positive cap space, and this is a wide receiver-rich free agency class, uh, as it seems now. Obviously, guys can re-sign and stuff like that. But I, I like going offensive line and on the 33rd pick, or maybe we end up with the 34th or 35th if we can pull off more wins. But um, I do think that needs to be the priority there because – we can't play with this interior, like the interior of the offensive line as it is, especially with Bryce, uh, his limitation being his size. He can't be dealing with constant interior pressure. So I think that yeah. that needs to be the number one priority of being fixed. And this is a really deep wide receiver uh, group. I, you can see here on the script, I have guys in buckets. Like I talked about the first couple of guys being first rounders, Egbuka, Troy Franklin, Xavier Worthy being maybe second rounders. But then you have guys like Malachi Corley, Ricky Pearsall, and a slew of other receivers that are going to be uh, round three or day three kind of guys that can contribute right away. Guys like uh, Ladd McConkey from Georgia or Tez Walker from uh, North Carolina or Roman Wilson, another super good senior from Michigan. Guys that can contribute uh, and not be drafted super high. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of the st uh, strategy you proposed, especially if we're able to bring in like a, a Michael Pittman or a Calvin Ridley or a T. Higgins as well. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's one of those things, Calvin Ridley, he's a little bit older T Higgins. I'm worried about his separation stuff. Michael Pittman, I think he'll be re-signed by Indianapolis. Um, going after one of those guys, going after a second tier guy, grabbing Corley, keeping some of the guys that we have in the building. Like you talked about Amir Smith, Marset, if we keep building on some of these concepts, there's a role for him in this offense. Mingo get another year under his belt. He could take a step. So it's about adding pieces, making sure it's cohesive that we we're giving Bryce enough time to get the ball to these receivers. And that we have receivers that can make plays, uh, with the ball in their hands. So I think this, this is a, a good step in the right direction. We'll see a fitterer. Um, 
lasts through this kind of draft process and then he's fired afterwards. I don't know exactly what's happening from the front office standpoint. Uh, we'll probably get more clarity on that come January. Um, we are called Perfect Takes. And uh, I forgot to introduce us again, Jacob. Um, I'm Stephen Batten, your host. This is Jacob Acquire, my co-host. And we do, each week, Perfect Takes. And this week's Perfect Take, I have, uh, we talked about it in the playoff picture, but I think the Falcons win at home against the Colts. I think Cleveland wins on the road against Houston. And the Bills beat the Chargers on the road. And so that means the Bills will kind of jump into that seventh seed. And I think they kind of stay there. And what will be interesting is if the Chiefs kind of jump up to that two seed we were talking about, first round of the playoffs, we're going to get Kansas City-Buffalo, a rematch. And it'll be very interesting to see uh, because it'll be back in Kansas City. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is not going to be happy with the performance he had prior. Now, Tony, if he has anything to say about it, is going to throw the game away. But um, that, that's kind of how I see things shaking up. What about you? So you've got uh, some favorable Bills predictions uh, as your take. I like it. Um, for me, I'm more leaning towards the MVP race, how it's kind of down to two or three guys, if you want to include Christian McCaffrey. I think Lamar Jackson is going to win the battle of the MVP hopefuls on Christmas. We were blessed with some Christmas Day games this year, so that should be fun and exciting along with the NBA Christmas games. But I think he pulls off the win on Christmas Day in Santa Clara. Okay. Very interesting. On Christmas in Santa, I, I mean, Santa Clara, um, I think it's very fitting. I think the NFL uh, chose this game for a specific reason. Um, I like the fact that uh, it's obviously not Harbaugh and Harbaugh again, but these two historic franchises, because the Ravens before they were the Ravens were the Cleveland Browns, and they were a very good organization. Um, I, I'd love to see them in the Super Bowl again. I think it would be a very competitive one. I think this game is going to be uh, really tight, and I think it's going to say a lot about Brock Purdy because this is probably going to be one of the bigger tests he's going to have all year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, if he wants to be the MVP, he's got to beat some of the best teams, and this is one of the best defenses he can see. Yeah, and Lamar Jackson's right up there in the MVP front runner. Uh, he was your preseason guy, so hopefully uh, he pulls through with that award. That'd be cool to see. Uh, with that, we are wrapped up for this week. As always, if you guys have any questions, shoot them to us at perfect underscore takes. Uh, we'll catch you next week after uh, the Panthers and Packers play. Uh, we may come to you uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. We're still figuring out some scheduling, but we will catch you guys next week. So until then.